Romans chapter 14, verse 1, Him that is weak in the faith, receive. So run to find a place of agreement. But not according to doubtful disputations. What are those things? Personal preferences. Now go down to verse 17. We were here last week. For the kingdom of God is not about that stuff. Those matters of doubtful disputations. The preferences of meat or no meat. Of drink. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And then you go to chapter 15 where we'll be at today. Chapter 15 down to verse 7. Wherefore... He repeats this, Receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now if we've learned anything in this brief little study, this little three-week trip through uh, Romans 14 and 15 when Christians disagree, there is a need to strike a balance, which is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, Do all things in love. Love is the great balance. Love is the great sort of offsetting what you know to be true and what you think is right, you know, all that stuff we stand for. But love gives it a great balance. As St. Augustine wrote, I, I said it to you a few weeks ago, the, the, in essentials, what do we want? Unity. In non-essentials, what do we want? Liberty. And then, when you come to the all things, charity. So in he wrote, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. I've often repeated it. I've said it before, I'm sure. The easiest thing to get any group of people to do is to hate the same thing. Did you know that? Oh, you've kind of seen it today, haven't you? But the hardest thing to do is get that same group or any other group, really, to come aboard with loving the same thing. That's the most difficult thing to do. Get a group of people to say, we love the same thing. I grew up in an era, didn't we? We grew up in an era where, where it was all about hate and the things we hate and the things we got to stay away from. You know, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't run with those. And so we, we grew up in this era of where we just talked about all the things we, we hated. And, and, and uh, I'll never forget my father, pastored for more than 50 years. And he said to me, Jimmy, I'm afraid... We spent a lot of time fighting the wrong battles. It changes your whole perspective on disagreements with other believers if we can first and always agree on the things that we love. Which, after all, covers a whole lot of other stuff, doesn't it? Right? It covers a whole lot of multitude of wrong, 1 Peter 4. Love is having the best interest of the other person in mind. Not to please ourselves on matters of personal preference. But more often than not, what is our first option? Our first option is to make our opinion known in no uncertain terms because we've been around a while, you know, and so we've got something to say about it. And so we just feel like we have to say it. I've, I've often found the more you feel like you have to say something, the less likely you should bother saying it. Think about it. How can we agree on, on, when we disagree on these matters of non-essentials, doubtful disputations, without creating division, being ourselves so disagreeable. First of all, we discovered that the battery in the clock is out, so I can preach as long as I want to. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I was like, wow, this is great. <laughs> the first thing we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the first half of chapter 14, was that we want to receive one another. 
Whatever else, we want to, whatever else we may disagree on, we want to run to the place where we can agree on the same thing. This, this was the master-to-servant relationship. We're all in this thing together. There's only one who's the master, and it's not you. Right? There's one who's God, and it's not you. And we're all subject to the same. So we receive one another in this humility. And then as we stay busy working for the Lord, because I, I've often found that if you're, if you're busy complaining, you're not busy working. Well, as you're busy working, then we want to seek to edify one another. That was last week in the second half of chapter 14, edify or build up one another. It's a brother-to-brother relationship, right? Brother-sister-to-brother relationship and recognition. You have to consider on these matters of non-essentials, you do have to consider how will my actions impact a brother or sister in Christ. Concerning doubtful disputations, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 8, we all have opinions. But knowledge held like that, opinionated, it only puffs up. Oh, you've got the better argument. You were able to shout them down. Quiet there, you know, you spoke your piece and nobody else could say anything. You silenced all your critics. But it's charity, that love that builds up. Knowledge without love quickly discourages, will always divide. Finally this morning, we come to chapter 15 and the first six or seven verses, and we see that as we seek to build up the body of Christ, our effort, our desire, our, our sort of top of the list thing is that we want to please one another. I want to please one another in this thing. Verse 1, I'll just read that little introduction to it. We then that are strong, been around for a while, you've been saved for a while, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Newer, younger Christian. It doesn't just mean age, but somebody who's just not grounded in Scripture as you are, hasn't learned all the things you've learned, which you've long since forgotten you were once, and not to please ourselves or make our own points. This is the stronger to weaker relationship. Now you compare this thought with Galatians chapter 6 where Paul wrote, If a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such an one. In the spirit of what? You're better? In the spirit of meekness. Considering yourself, your own weakness, lest you also be tempted. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul's premise in Galatians and here in Romans is built upon the willingness and desire of the stronger Christian to settle their disagreements by doing what is best for the weaker believer. Paul's choice of words couldn't be more stark. When he uses the word strong and the word weak, they are exact opposites in the Greek. I mean, just, just completely, when you see the word strong, it is the word possible. When you see the word weak, it is the word impossible. Strong, weak. Possible, impossible. 
Well, the Achilles heel for the weaker Christian is dependence. They're dependent upon the law. They like to see things in writing. They give them some guidelines. They're just tell me what to do and they'll do it. It governs their life in fear, not faith. Their tendency is to be judgmental of others who have different opinions. Like, well, you know, but this is what we ought to be doing. They've got this list of things. The weak are literally impossible to please. It's not you. That's their infirmity that he talks about there in the middle of verse 1. That's their infirmity. They're, they're judgmental of anybody who could have a different opinion than the rules that they follow. How could you dare think that way? The Achilles heel for the stronger is just the opposite. Not dependence, but independence. Liberty, not law. Liberty governs their life. They live in freedom, not fear. Their tendency, however, is to be a little impatient with others. Because you've learned a lot of lessons along the way. And those who hold different opinions, you, you, you can't understand why they would hold that. Why would that be a problem for you? To the strong, all things are lawful. And so you'll use phrases like, well, everything in moderation. I hate that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that because somebody will be afraid to use it around me. But, you know, that's where we get to sometimes. Their conscience isn't bothered by almost anything. From a position of strength, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, all things are lawful for me. Remember that? 1 Corinthians 10. But then he went on to admit all things are lawful, but they're not all expedient. They're not all beneficial. All things are lawful, but not everything builds up. Not everything edifies, and that's what we're trying to do, build up one another. Yeah, it may be lawful. It may be certainly permissible, and you have every freedom to do it, but is it the best thing, considering other people and how we're building up the faith, the, the body of Christ? Well, to help us balance freedom of the strong with fear of the weak, I'm going to give you, first of all, a little bit of encouragement. Verse 1, we read, then verse 2, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good toward edification, toward building up. True Christian love is not selfish. doesn't seek to please itself. The New Living Translation says of verse 1, we have to consider, we must be considerate of the doubts and the fears of others. I know it's not a problem for you. I know you've long since gotten over that issue, but somebody else may still be struggling with it. David prayed, turn my heart toward your statutes, not toward selfish gain. Paul said that some even preach Christ out of selfish ambition. So he says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Philippians 2. But in humility, you consider others better or before yourselves. Each of you should look not only on your own interests, on your own preferences, and your own lifestyle, but also on the interests of others. Well, whatever your tendency. So I'm not going to declare whether you're strong or weak. You'll, you'll figure this out. But whatever your tendency, the problem is when that, which is from your perspective, right, whichever side of it you think you're on, seems so obvious to you, and you can't understand why it would be a problem and why others don't see it. Let me give you this I know you didn't come asking for my advice, but as your dad would have said, as mine would, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, right? Your convictions should not be used to leverage guilt against somebody else. 
but as a way to extend grace to other people. Let this matter of conscience be settled in your own mind, but don't use it as a measure of judgment, either way, against others. Well, the stronger ought to be willing to bear, which is not to put up with, like, i got to bear, this is my cross, i got to bear, like this kid i got to put up with, these other people I have to put up with, these others who just don't understand. That's not it. To bear is to, as you might say, shoulder the burden. It is to place it on your shoulders. To bear has the idea of taking hold of something with your hands. So when others are struggling with issues, you bear this on their behalf. You help them shoulder this load. You help carry them through and not so dismissive of others. You can't bear the infirmities of the weak and remain at arm's length. As the old saying goes, the closer the Maybe I'm older than you. The closer the stones lie together, the stronger the building. In fact, if you keep your enemy at arm's length, you know what that's the perfect distance for? You remember the old rope or dope thing? You know, the, what, did they, what did he do? He got in close. And why did he get in close? Yeah. But if you hold somebody at, long, at, at distance, you know what that's the perfect distance for? You hold them at arm's length, what's that the perfect distance for? The right hook. Don't do that. You got to bring them in close. Maybe you don't see it their way. They don't see it your way. You gotta, it's going to be messy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Getting your hands dirty with, with other people's lives. You're trying to walk them through, help them. The body of Christ and our church will only be built up to the extent that we seek to please one another, not impose our personal preference on the situation. And it's no surprise who is our illustration? Verse 3, who is our illustration? So the example of this there in verse 3, for even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on Christ. J. Vernon McGee said, I'll just give you this little sort of background to it. Always when Christ is given as an example, Always, when Christ is given as an example, it is in connection with the redeeming grace of God. As one theologian put it, now, now stay with me on this, on this remark, the scriptures are not in a habit of holding up Christ as an example, for men are neither saved nor sanctified by an example Christ is presented to us as the argument for the grace of God. The proof that we need to understand why we need God in the first place and how we can receive Him. Not just an example of how to live a good life. The argument for the grace of God. Christ submitting Himself to the limitations of flesh. When, so God's Son, at Christmas we talk about being born in a manger, that the fact that he limited himself to the shape of a human, gave up all rights he had to the throne, and lived as a man among us. That's the great kenosis, right? The emptying of himself. That he might limit himself in such a way that we would understand 
the grace of God. So Christ could have imposed his will at any number of points along the way. And we sing, he could have called 10,000 angels, right? But what did he do? Alone, he died for you and me. Well, the body of Christ is only built up as we understand what Christ has done. Paul used this emptying of self in Philippians 2 again. Be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And then he goes on to describe this was the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why? So that you might be saved. Jesus was willing rather to die that he might minister to us, and he did so while we were living in disagreement to his opinion, right? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul's example in our passage and also in Romans 5 and here again in our passage, it's taken from Psalm 69. So you have maybe a little mark in your Bible. Mine has a little star. Yours might have a little note there in verse 3. This is a messianic psalm. This refers to Christ. So the reproaches of them that reproached thee were fallen on me. See, he took all of this reproach on himself. Every true offense is an offense not against you, but against the Lord. So if you take a personal offense in a matter that you're trying to be a witness, be a testimony, and to understand, and you understand that it's, it's not about you, it should have never been about you, it's about who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Are you willing to trade in the death of Christ in order to have your personal opinion? Here's another little bit of advice for you. Your maturity as a Christian, you're, you're, you've been saved for a while. You consider yourself to be a mature Christian? Listen to me. Your maturity as a Christian is not found in your ability to argue your point better, as if you're going to silence the crowd. The maturity is found in your ability to understand someone else's point better so that you might express Jesus Christ in a way that they understand. That's what makes you a mature Christian. Oh, I see where they're coming from. I understand what their hang-up is, what their questions are. Now you can present Christ in a way that they'll understand. Maturity and strength of the believer is found in the ability to forgo personal preference, doubtful disputations, chapter 14, verse 1, in order to help other believers. Jesus not only went the extra mile, but he suffered reproach unfairly. So when you feel like you've gone as far as you need to go with this other person, and you're going to draw your little line in the sand, and you think you've been treated unfairly along the way, remember what Christ did to win you over. Have you forgotten that? So as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially 
in this conversation about brothers and sisters in Christ. We've been encouraged to please one another, and Christ is our great example of how to win people over who may disagree with us on any number of other issues, all of which sounds good, all of which may be easier to talk about than to do. So how do we experience this? Verse 4. Because whatsoever things were written aforetime, well, that's the Word of God. We're written for our learning, our understanding. Oh, now here's this great truth, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might find what? Or we, we will have what? Hope. Patience, comfort, hope. And then he gives this prayer. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Jesus Christ, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we experience this? First of all, it's through the Word of God. Reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, obviously being in church, being in Sunday school, right, Bible study. Patience and comfort adds up to what? Hope. Patience in Scripture is always based upon adjusting our expectation to an eternal perspective. That's patience. From Scripture, we'll always have our minds, our thoughts, our attitudes adjusted, our expectations to an eternal perspective. Comfort in Scripture, comfort is always associated with the Messiah. Comfort. Who, by the way, said to his disciples, and for us to know, that yes, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless because I'm going to leave with you what? The Comforter. Spirit of Truth. It can walk with you day by day. And the result is hope, a confident expectation that keeps us from discouragement along the way. By the Word of God, I come to realize this great truth of Romans 8 again. By the way, you don't know what else to do? Romans 6, 7, and 8. You want to know how to live the Christian life? Romans 6, 7, and 8. Back in Romans 8, he writes there, we come to realize that the injustice, the unfairness, the way I'm being treated in life is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Right? So that thing you're complaining about, that thing you're so aggravated about, the thing you're so, I don't understand, why I don't understand. It's not even worthy to be in the same sentence with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Well, by the word of God, I come to realize that the sufferings of this life are not in any way comparable to the eternal glory. By the word of God, I realize I've not yet apprehended. I've not yet arrived. I don't yet have it all together, but this one thing I do. Philippians again. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Well, the word of God helps me to take my mind off of everything that's wrong. You see anything that's wrong today? Get back in the Word of God. Turn off the television. Right? Don't watch the news every day, right? We had that conversation. Don't even. And get in the Word of God. And in the Word of God, you, you come to think of things that are good and right and holy and just and pure, right? Again, Philippians, think on these things. And we learn that from the Word of God. People are dying and going to hell. 
not because they don't agree with you. It's because they don't agree with what this book says. We're sinners. We're all going to hell, but for the grace of God. Would you like to know how you could be saved? And your opinion won't matter one whit. But God's Word does. Second thing you do, so we get into God's Word. The second thing we do, verses 5 and 6, are a prayer. So the Word of God and, well, that's no surprise to you, the Word of God and prayer, right? Pray about it. The reason I say pray about it, it is a prayer, a prayer that they might experience the spiritual unity and peace that only God can bring. This prayer is to be like-minded, which you've heard me say, like-minded doesn't mean that we think alike so much or act alike so much, or God forbid that we would look alike, like some sort of clone, which just sounds a little scary, a little creepy. But one, one mind, he says, that is with the same passion, people need the Lord. With one mouth we speak. What is that? The same purpose we want to tell people about Jesus. Very much like the Gospels. The Gospels are told from different perspectives. The language you use to the people you know, from the perspective you had, your background, your upbringing, your story, and you, you come at the same story, the same thing just like the Gospels did. And we're telling about the same story. Jesus saves. So whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, right, do all to the glory of God. Even as I please, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 33, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they might be saved. We may not enjoy the same music, my wife always turns off the radio when, I, when she gets in the car after me. You may, where's Dave? You may prefer the mountains, Dave. I like the beach. If Era was here, her, her kids, they like to ride horses. I like to ride anything on the water. Exactly. <laughs> and that's your preference. You want to know how to tell whether you're strong or weak? You know, when you pray about things, or perhaps for people, or that son or daughter, or that boss, or that friend, you pray for them. Is your prayer so that they might come around to your way of thinking? Or is it your prayer that others may see Christ the way you know Him? May I remind you that the first threat to the Christian church, Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, the first threat to the Christian church was when the disciples got so busy trying to please everyone. And they had a big conference about it. You know what their conclusion was? We have left off our commitment to the Word of God and prayer. So they Acts chapter 6, they renewed their commitment to the Word of God and prayer. If nothing else, what this world is doing to us right now is reminding us we may have gotten off track. It's not about maintaining your lifestyle. 
People aren't going to get saved because of your lifestyle. They get saved because they've known Jesus Christ or not. 